All right. Good morning. It's good to see you again. Let's pray. And so, Lord, we thank you for the privilege to come and look into your word this morning. I pray that you will guide my words, that first and foremost, they will bring glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, and that it will be a blessing to all of us. I pray that those that don't know Jesus as their Savior, today will be their day of salvation, and those that know the Lord, that they will be encouraged and strengthened in their work. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Okay, so I started looking at Luke chapter 7 a while back. This is actually number 5. And I think the last time I spoke was either October or November, I don't remember. Because uh, we had to pack Luke chapter 7 and go on to Christmas and New Year. So I was trying to run away from continuing. David Mark says, you can't. You have to stay there. So I'm here now. I have to stay there. So hopefully um, everyone will be blessed. So there are quite a number of new people. So I'd like to review what we've done. And maybe you can read up Luke chapter 7. So, so in Luke chapter 7, there are four important events that involve the life of Jesus and individuals. The first one, there was a very high official, a Roman centurion, who requested physical healing for his son. And he said, just speak the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus spoke the word and his servant with he was healed. So that was the first encounter. So I call that a great miracle, physical healing. In the second instant, there was a woman who was a widow. And her only child died. And this is the only time Jesus went, we have in the record in the Bible, that Jesus went to the city of Nain, uninvited. And they were carrying the child to go and bury the child. And Jesus stopped the woman. No request was made. And then they put down the child. He raised the child back to life. I call that a greater miracle. Healing, physical healing, then coming back to life physically, that's wonderful. Great. We love the word great. I'm a Nigerian, and great is a great word. We love it. Okay. Even for non-Nigerians, when I say the great one, Canadians understand. Right. So we love the word great. And even I think there's election in um, election coming to the U.S. and it's all about MAGA, make America great again. So we love that word great. Okay. And John the Baptist, disciples came to Jesus and said, John is imprisoned. You need to do something about it. And at that moment, Jesus performed lots of miracles. And then he sent the disciples back and then said, go and tell John what you've seen. And then when the disciples left, Jesus made a startling statement. He says, of all the men or people that are born of women, there is none greater than John the Baptist. You would have thought that he would say that of Moses 
of David, of Abraham, or any or Daniel, or any of these wonderful people that we read about in the Old Testament. But he said John the Baptist was the greatest. And so we've been stuck with John the Baptist since then, trying to at least see what that means. And then the last incident is this one. So I call that, you know, Jesus declares John the Baptist the greatest person. And then in this last incident, a woman shows up uninvited and uh, a woman of low standing. And Jesus performs the greatest miracle of all, salvation of soul. And this is coming, but we need to finish this one. All right. John the Baptist, number three. I've spoken twice, so this is the third one. And this will be the last one. So, why is he great? So let's remind ourselves of John the Baptist. His birth was prophesied. We know that. Because um, from the Old Testament, it it was written about him, and Gabriel showed up. So he was born to aged parents, Zachariah and Elizabeth, and he was born in answer to prayer. They had been praying for this child for a long time, and they gave up. He grew up in Judea. He lived in the wilderness, wore clothes of camel hair, ate locusts, all of those nice meals. <laughs> and he preached and baptized Jews. That's very unusual. Jews were the ones he baptized. And he called them to repentance. He also baptized the Lord Jesus Christ. And a very unusual event as well. And um, he was the first person in the New Testament to identify Jesus Christ as the Messiah, the Lamb of God, the one that will baptize with Holy Spirit and water, and the Son of God. Before any other person took this theme or this topic to talk about, John the Baptist was the first. He was imprisoned and killed by Herod. So that's just a brief sketch of John the Baptist. Now, these are the statements of the Lord Jesus Christ. You can check them out for yourself. In Luke chapter 7, verse 28, Jesus says, I tell you, among those born of women, none is greater than John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of God is greater than he. And then in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11, Jesus, the same thing, he said, truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist, just in case you think it was a different John. Yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Jesus' words as a, John's ministry was ending. When Jesus made these statements, John wasn't there. His disciples were not there. So these words were spoken for our benefit. It wasn't for their benefit. Okay? So the question that needs to be asked, at least you should, is if John is the greatest and yet the least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than John, how can I enter the kingdom of God? Jesus is not one that is given to flattering people. When he makes statements, he means what he says, and he says what he means. Okay. All right. So that's introduction.
But now I want you to interact with me because we are going somewhere. Okay? With questions. The well-known, the most well-known gospel chapter or verse in the Bible. John 3.16. How could we miss that? John chapter 3 and John 3.16. In John chapter 3, we have the Lord Jesus Christ there. We have Nicodemus, remember him? Jesus called him the teacher of Israel. The teacher, not just a teacher, the teacher of Israel. And he's also a Pharisee and a ruler in Israel. And we have John the Baptist and his disciples. Okay? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. So familiar, so true, it doesn't change. God's love is mentioned. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. Jesus didn't come to condemn but that the world might be saved through him. So that's John 3, 16 to 17. So when my wife was reviewing this message, she said, it looks like you'll be able to finish today. It looks like that. And I said, don't be so sure. Because it, it's looking at the PowerPoint and saying it's few. I think we probably will. <laughs> All right, next question. The number of sentences with the word must in John 3. I see the Sunday school people smiling. So, how many sentences in John chapter 3 have the word must? You don't need to look up your Bible right now, but tell me how many. How many? Did, did you say, did somebody say something? You said, did I hear a number? Three. Three is, three is a good number. It's a good number. Three. So it's like, oh, I hope I wasn't wrong. No, <laughs> if you are wrong, it's not an examination. It's all good. Okay. So what are the three sentences? This is my message this morning. Okay, so don't think that the message is different from where we are going. What are the three sentences with must in John 3? You must be born again, Jesus said to Nicodemus. Next. The Son of Man must, must be lifted up. He must be lifted up. Next. He must increase. I must decrease. I knew that you were excellent Bible students. Wonderful. This is good. Very good. So, oh, I've already gone far. He must become greater and greater. That's what the NLT says, and I like it. And I must become less and less, but I knew that there are a lot of King James people, so I made sure I kept that. Okay? He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. All right, so let's look at the first one. I started my message with an ESV, prepared everything, but then I switched to NLT after I read all of them and then say, okay. So there's a mix of both script passages here. 
So in John chapter 3, verse 6 to 7, a man named Nicodemus came to Jesus by night, the teacher of Israel, the teacher of Israel and the ruler. He came and said, We know that you are a great teacher, for no one can perform all these miracles except God is with him. And then Jesus spoke to him, said, You have to be born again. And then the conversation continued, and then we have this verse. Human can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. So don't be surprised when I say to you, you must be born again. That was Jesus to Nicodemus. So we'll call that the must of a sinner. Everyone that is born into the world is born a sinner. The best person in the world that you can think of was born a sinner. And he's still a sinner unless he's born again. And a sinner must, it's not optional, well, you have the choice. You must believe in Jesus Christ to have your sin forgiven. And to have eternal life. That's the only way to have eternal life. Only one way. I know that that is not politically correct. But that's what it is. Because Jesus doesn't say words to flatter people. He tells you the truth. And knowing the truth sets you free. So we are all sinners. It's not a question of... um, not being a sinner, sometimes we feel that we are better than the other people. Yes, sometimes that is true. But it doesn't make us. It just We are all sinners of different degree. All sinners. And the only way to be saved, to have spiritual life, is that you must be born again. So that's the must of a sinner. The second one. Again, Jesus was speaking to Nicodemus and he said, No one has ever gone to heaven and returned. Did you hear that? Up to that moment, no one has ever gone to heaven and returned. But the Son of Man has come down from heaven. I came down from heaven. And as Moses lifted up the bronze snake on the pole in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Why? So that everyone who believes in him will have eternal life. That's the must of the Savior. Lifted up means he must die on the cross. And he did. He fulfilled it. And he did it because of the reason stated there. So that everyone who believes in him must have eternal life. So that's the must of the Savior. He ensured that because he knew that we are all sinners, there's no way we can have a relationship with God, and the only way for us to have eternal life or relationship with God is to have our sins taken care of. He came down from heaven. You read that. The Son of Man came down from heaven. So that he will be lifted up so that he will die on the cross. So the question is why? This clip that I'm about to play 
Some of you have seen it before. It's a very nice clip. I like it. And I hope you will like it too. And I hope I will inspire the parents too by the time we finish playing this. I'll tell you why. So, <clears throat> what's in the Bible? See that program? I remember my son, you know, sitting, my youngest son, uh, my, who is 13 years younger than the next person, sitting down and then was watching uh, CBC uh, programs. No, he doesn't watch news. Kids have no interest in news. They just want to watch stuff. And I was sitting down watching it with him, and I was seeing that, hmm, they have a message that they are trying to communicate to the child in a very subtle way. Every now and then, they will put rainbow, put all kinds of things, and I was watching. And I said to myself, if I let my son be fed this thing continuously, he will probably be attributing, for example, the rainbow to what it is not, because the Bible has a specific meaning for it, and all of those things. And so I began to dig. How can I get something different for my child? I remember there's a place called Focus on the Family. And so they sent me their catalog, and I was flipping through. And then I saw this DVD said, what's in the Bible? I understood that I need to spend money to help my son think right. So I picked money, called, and bought 13 sets of this DVD. I've never watched it. And then said, rather than watch all this uh, CBC indoctrination, I, this is what I want you to be indoctrinated in. And so my son began to watch. It was a few years later that my daughter said, do you know there's also a Christian station called Mino, where they have Christian program for kids, and you can subscribe. I said, yeah. You want to train them, you have to spend money. It's a good investment. So that's, I'm telling you, parents, it's a good investment. Every month, $10, so that my child at least can see something that is wholesome. It's, I'm not you know, campaigning for them or anything, but we have lots of children. And we need to make sure that our kids are well-trained. So I sat down and I was watching this stuff with my child. And I knew the explanation that they gave why Jesus died was so clear. And clear in the mind of a child and even an adult. Hopefully it will play. Dying on a cross. But that's not what God saw. God saw something very different happening. God saw his son, the son of God, on a cross. Then he saw the stain of our sin appearing on Jesus. Your sin, my sin, everything selfish and mean we've ever done or ever could do. The stain of all that sin was appearing on Jesus, even though he'd never done anything wrong at all. God saw his son stained with all the sin of the world. He saw him buried under all that sin. He saw him die under all that sin. He died for one purpose, and for one purpose only, the sin of the world. Your sin, my sin, the sin of our children, our grandfathers, and all of that. That's why he died. That's why the Son of Man must be lifted up because sin must be paid for. And none of us could. Only Jesus could. And he's done that. So that's the second must of John. 
the third most. So here, in John chapter 3, verse 29 to 30, we read this. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. Mm, you're waiting. <laughs> and the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. I was told if I go that far, they won't see me. So I should better stay around here. I'm filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater. And I must become less and less. This was John the Baptist speaking to his followers. This is the must of a saint or believers. If you make this your life goal, you will have a very satisfying and happy life. That Jesus becomes greater and greater every day. Or if you like, it must increase and I must decrease. It's a must. So Jesus must become greater and greater and a believer must become less. That means the Lord Jesus must take first place. So let's review. The must of a sinner. A sinner must believe in Jesus Christ to have his or her sins forgiven and to have eternal life. That's only one way. There's, there's no other way to have your sins forgiven. The must of the Savior, he must die, and he has already done that. So, on the cross for our sins, and the must of a saint or believer. Believers are called saints, by the way, so that there's no confusion. Believers are called in the Bible saints. Check out Ephesians chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Just read it and then you will see it's not somebody that died and then had to spend some years and then end the title. So if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a saint. So you can call me Saint Ime. Okay? <laughs> All right. So believers are saints. Okay? So that's the most of a saint. A believer must let Jesus take first place daily. So what made John the Baptist great? Why did Jesus say, He's the greatest. I'd like to submit to you this morning that he preached and lived the most of a saint. Okay. John 3, verse 22 to 36 is our main passage. So let's read together. Then Jesus and his disciples left Jerusalem and went into the Judean countryside. Jesus spent some time with them there baptizing people. At this time, John the Baptist was baptizing at Enion near Salim because there was plenty of water there and people kept coming to him for baptism. This was before John was thrown into prison. A debate broke out between John's disciples and a certain Jew over ceremonial cleansing so John's disciples came to him and said, Rabbi, the man you met on the other side of the Jordan, the one you identified as the Messiah, is also baptizing people, and everybody is going to him instead of coming to us. Get the idea? 
We are losing the crowd. He is becoming more famous. We don't like this. John replied, No one can receive anything unless God gives it from heaven. Take note of that. Whatever you have is a gift from God. You yourself know how plainly I told you I am not the Messiah. I am only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride. And the bridegroom's friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his vows. Therefore, I am filled with joy at his success. He must become greater and greater, and I must become less and less. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth, and we speak of earthly things. But he has come from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He testifies about what he has seen and heard, but how few people believe what he tells them. Anyone who accepts his testimony can affirm that God is true. For he is sent by God. He speaks God's words, for God gives him the spirit without limit. The father loves his son and has put everything into his hands. And anyone who believes in God's son has eternal life. Anyone who doesn't obey the son will never experience eternal life, but remains under God's angry judgment. All right. So we're going to, she said I will finish. I doubt it. I will finish. This message, I'm not coming back. But what she told me, we'll see what happens. Okay, so here, the background. So this is what is happening. Jesus is from Galilee. So the best way I think of Galilee is that we have three provinces. Galilee is the province in the north. Samaria is the province in the middle. And Judea is the province at the bottom. So Jesus is from Galilee. John is from Judea. Okay? So Jesus is coming from his territory into John's territory. And the crowd is following Jesus instead of John. And so John's disciples are looking and saying, that man that you identified as the Messiah, the crowd is following him and not us. What are we going to do? And the idea in the modern world would be we have to strategize, to build strategy on how we can get them back. I think that's what they were expecting John to do. So they complained, and then John responded. John's response. John replied, no one receives anything unless God gives it from heaven. You yourself know how plainly I told you I'm not the Messiah. I'm only here to prepare the way for him. It is the bridegroom who marries the bride, and the bridegroom friend is simply glad to stand with him and hear his voice. Therefore, therefore, I, John the Baptist, I am filled with joy at his success. 
He must become greater and greater. And I must become less and less. I'd like you to see with me that John's response is quite interesting. He says that everything a person has is a gift from God. Have you ever thought about that? Uh, he's downstairs. He's not aware. And if he's aware, we said that. Why did you say the third child when he was about to show up? I thought the journey had ended of children. So, but he, sh- he showed up and I was looking for a name. And then I remember James said, every good and perfect gift. So his name means good and good gift. Because I realized a child is a gift from God. Life is a gift from God. Opportunities, gift from God. Name them. They are all gifts. Even sitting here right now is God's gift. Good health is a gift. So John says everything a person receives is a gift from God. I'm not the Messiah. He's succeeding and I'm filled with joy. He must get greater and greater while I become less. Is that your attitude? It should be. And then John goes on to say more about Jesus. He has come from above and is greater than anyone else. We are of the earth and we speak of earthly things, but he came from heaven and is greater than anyone else. He goes on to say, for he sent by God. He speaks God's words and God gives him the spirit without measure. The father loves the son and has put everything under his hands. So Jesus Christ is greater than anyone else. And you need to know that. There is none greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. And John the Baptist made sure he proclaimed that into the ears of his disciples. And we should proclaim it everywhere. That the Lord Jesus is the greatest person that has ever lived or will ever live. The greatness of Jesus Christ. I'd like to read a few scriptures for you. And you just need to listen and pay attention to the words. In this reading, I've taken two translations. And I'm going to read them. Just read them through. Okay. Colossians 1. This is ESV. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. Notice I've underlined the word all. Talking about the Lord Jesus Christ. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominion or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him, and he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he's the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might have the preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. No one is greater than the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the creator of all things. We are all creatures. Say that is too much big English. I don't understand. NLT helps you. Christ is the invisible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. 
He made the things we can see. And the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in the unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. is the beginning supreme over all who rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. And if you are a believer, these are wonderful words. This includes you. Who were once far from God, you were his enemies. Separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions, yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are, say you will be, say you are, but you are holy, blameless as you stand before him without fault because of Christ. Ephesians chapter 1. Here Paul is talking about how we need our eyes to be open. And then he says this now concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. He's far above any ruler or authority or power or leader or anything else. Not only in this world but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ. And has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. And the church it is his body. It is made full and complete by Christ, who fills all things everywhere with himself. NLT. Now, verse 21 is far above any ruler, authority, or power, or leader, or anything else, not only in this world, but also in the world to come. God has put all things under the authority of Christ and has made him head over all things for the benefit of the church. So the Lord Jesus Christ is the greatest, the greatest person that has ever lived. But he identified John as a great person. So lessons. She's almost right. Me and my wife, almost lessons. So what do we learn from this passage? A sinner must be born again. You have no, well, you have a choice to refuse to. But if you refuse, you are condemned. In fact, right now, by not being born again, you are already condemned. The sentence has been passed. The judgment has just not been executed. Because that's what it says. You're already under condemnation. That's why you need to be born again. So believe in Jesus Christ to have your sins forgiven and have eternal life. If you haven't done that, Today should be your day. Recognize that you are a sinner and you need to be saved and ask God to forgive your sins. A saint or a believer must make Jesus greater. That's our mandate. That's, that's our calling in life. How? I was thinking about this. Obedience to God's word. I've given careful thought to this and I said, I could say prayer. I could say evangelism. 
I could say, live a perfect life. But it all comes back to obedience to the word of God. Regardless of what you, how you, how you go about it, you have to obey. If you say believe, then believe. If you say trust, then trust. If you say pray, then pray. If we obey the word of God, the Lord Jesus will be exalted. And that means not just obeying it when we are sitting together and we look like saints. Even when we are home and the environment is not saintly, we need to be obedient. Or if we are at work. So obedience to the word of God, the Bible, is the key to magnifying the Lord Jesus Christ. John Wells stood up this morning and I smiled. This was the first passage that John read this morning and I was just smiling uh, during breaking of bread. So Peter, remember him? You will not wash my feet. Lord, we just finished arguing about greatness and now you want to wash my feet. You will not wash my feet. And then Jesus said, when he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord and you are right, for so I am. If I then your Lord and teacher has washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. And they write this, for I've given you an example that you also should do just as I've done to you. And he says, if you know these things, so much knowledge, so little doing. So many great Bible teachers and people that can explain doctrine, that will include me, so little doing. If you know these things. John said, happy, but he says, blessed are you if you do them. So we need to have humility and we need to do what we know, obedience to the word of God. Paul. In Paul's time, to be great was to be a Pharisee. And so Paul could write this. For we who worship by the spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. And then let me jump to verse 5 because of time. I was talking about if, if people have reason to boast, I have one. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribes of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there was ever one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church, as, and as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. How many of us can say that? He said, I did all of that. I once thought that these things were valuable. But now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything is worthless when compared. Everything else is worthless when compared to the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting them it all as garbage so that I could gain Christ. I want you to think about that. What are the things that are valuable to you? Or the thing that you consider of the greatest value? None of them can compare to the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. So make knowing Jesus Christ your life goal. 
obedience to his word, and make knowing him your life goal. So we go back to our message. She said I will finish. She's right. I found, I found out that I'm not able to talk as much as I used to when I'll be pounding this stage. Now, you know, I think age is setting in or something like that. A sinner must believe. A saint must let Jesus take first place. And that means obedience. That's if you get nothing out of this message today, obedience to God's word. And you can't obey what you don't know. So that means you have to know the word. Okay. The Bible is the key. Knowing the word of God and obeying it. Knowing that there is nothing greater than knowing Jesus Christ. John the Baptist is a great example to us. He must increase. I must decrease. He must become greater and greater. And I must become less and less. I pray that God will grant you the grace to live with that mindset every day. Every moment. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. And we thank you for your son. He's the greatest person that has ever lived. And the greatest blessing that we can have. Help us. To make him greater and greater every day. I just pray that those who don't know the Lord will make him greater by believing in him, and those who know the Lord will make him greater by being obedient to his word. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right, hymn of the ages, standing as you are able to sing.